Bear Books presents Ending Samsara, written by JW Voice and read by Daisy Ray. Part 1, Chapter 21, A Fake Gun From instinct, Gabe knew which area to avoid in the day, and that venturing out alone at night was impossible. He'd also learnt that the circle of people he could trust in Trini had dwindled to a number he could count on one hand. It was time to leave. For good. He'd used a payphone to contact Sherelle without divulging the reason he told her he'd changed his mind about joining her in Barbados. She was flourishing in her new job, set for a promotion to housekeeping supervisor. She'd also met a man and moved into his place. You'll like him, she said. Gabe was unconvinced and slightly disturbed by how fast things were moving for her. But if the man was happy to accept him into his home as well, the boy supposed beggars should not be choosy. His sister said she wanted to do things properly. She wanted to become his official guardian and secure him a place in a local school. He'd have to work hard. This was a condition she would not compromise on. Fortunately, travelling to Barbados was less difficult than it might have been for someone in Gabe's position. Firstly, he held a valid passport. Shirelle had arranged this for him on his 11th birthday, when she'd first harboured dreams about leaving. It was always her intention to bring him with her. Secondly, he easily had enough money for a flight. In his short time with Patrice, he'd managed to pilfer a grand total of $438 from the careless hacker. Both of these distinct advantages were of no use on their own and neither was he. He'd need an adult to fly with him. He had no desire to use a penny of his money on anything but food and therefore slept rough for the first two nights. He dozed, as brief snoozers were the best one could hope for, in the rear doorways of two different shops, hiding his money under nearby bins. Cautious someone might frisk him while he napped. On the third day, he threw in the towel and contacted reliable old Reginald to help him with his plan and to provide him with refuge in the meantime. Although Reg was a soft touch, his wife Mabel was not at all happy about the arrangement. She told her husband that he had one week to find the boy a flight companion or they'd both be out on the street. Gabe thanked the couple by taking responsibility for all conceivable chores in his time there. It seemed like the old bat had softened to him in the last few days. Yesterday evening, he cooked them a tuna pasta bake and she told him it was surprisingly tasty. He'd used some of the vague knowledge he'd picked up from Patrice in order to season the dish. Despite embodying the best house guest he could imagine, Gabe still felt like he was imposing on the couple by asking them to conceal him. It was now a widely held assumption on the island that the boy's days were numbered. Even living with Patrice, he'd not grasped how much power the weird agrophobic possessed. Reg informed him that every gang member and vaguely disreputable character was somehow in the hacker's pocket. This kind of sway did not vanish after the man's arrest and subsequent incarceration. No one should expect to cross the ghost as Gabe had done and live to tell the tale. With little to do other than watching boring daytime television, Gabe spent his days exhaustively cleaning the cramped little house. 
He'd do laundry, scrub the floors and even the walls. He'd been so bored two days ago that he'd even alphabetized all the books on the shelves. He didn't know how much more of this tedium he could endure. The opportunity to fly could not come soon enough. He'd been in the kitchen deciding what he'd cook for that night from the meagre ingredients at his disposal when Reg returned home from his job at the convenience store. Gabriel, said the plump little man. His grin was so wide it exposed all his missing back teeth. God is smiling on you today. The man's demeanour was mildly contagious. What's happening, Reg? Gabe asked with a smile of his own. I've just seen my old friend John. You know John, fisherman, big moustache. I think so. Well, John has a nephew in London, England. Malcolm, I think his name is, or is it Marlon? Reg scratched his head. Well, anyway, not a good boy, I must say, involved in a whole heap of trouble. You know, he only ended up there because he owed so many people money over here. Gabe nodded politely. He was eager to hear the news, and old Reginald had a habit of waffling on and taking far too long to get to the point of any story. If he weren't so indebted to the old fellow, he'd have told him so. He's owed his uncle a few hundred for years now, but unlike everyone else, John doesn't hold it against him. He's always kept in contact with the young man to see how he's getting on. I don't think he was ever expecting to get that money back. Gabe nodded, wondering how on earth this was of any relevance to him. Despite all the odds, though, the boy wired it over to him last night, and he even apologised for taking so long. I didn't want to know where he'd got the cash from, but John told me anyway. Said he'd sold a fake gun to someone in London for 500 English pounds. Can you imagine 500 pounds for a gun that doesn't even work? Gabe laughed, secretly admiring the nephew's hustle. Anyway, luck would have it that John also has family in Barbados. He's been needing to visit for a while now, for one reason or another, but he's never been able to scrape enough cash together for a flight. Just as Gabe was starting to lose interest in the story, the mention of Barbados regained his attention. So I asked him when he was planning on going, and he said tomorrow. Then I mentioned you and the fact that you need to fly over to your sister. If you want to know something even luckier, that old fisherman is probably about the only damn person who doesn't know about your situation. He's going to let me fly with him. He said as long as he doesn't expect me to buy his ticket... And I told him he shouldn't have to worry about that. I said he doesn't even need to talk to you if he doesn't want to and that you just need an adult to fly with. Reg, you've saved my life, he hugged the old man. Okay, okay, calm yourself. The flight is tomorrow, but it's $380 US. Can you cover it? Yes, Gabe shouted. He fumbled in his pocket for the money and quickly counted it out. There, he said, although $380 was admittedly far steeper than it expected. This detail was trivialised by the idea of leaving so much earlier than expected, and when he considered that it was a last-minute booking, it suddenly seemed a bargain. OK, son, I'm going to head out and sort it for you, and I told John I'd take you both to the airport in the morning before work. Wait, he reached into his shorts and produced another 20 from his diminished supply. I know it's not much, but this is for you as a thank you. Reg looked as if he wasn't going to accept it at first. Then he seemed to quickly change his mind. Well, thank you, son. 
He slid the single note into his wallet and the rest into his jacket pocket. Just don't tell me where you got all this from. He shook his head as he was leaving. Around ten minutes after Reg had left, his wife returned home. To Gabe's surprise, Mabel seemed to notice all the effort he put into the house during the day. Good job, boy, she said. Coming from her, this might as well have been the kind of hug he'd just given her husband. After the turbulent week the twelve-year-old had experienced, everything suddenly felt like it was falling into place. Gabe told the woman to relax while he started preparing a stew. She smiled at him from the living room as he stirred and seasoned the dish, dancing all the while to music on the radio. It was ready to plate up by the time old Reginald returned with the boarding pass. The last supper at their residence was the best one so far. Mabel admitted that, despite her initial intense reservations, she'd quite enjoyed having the boy around. You've been given a second chance, boy, she said to him, sternly waving her spoon. Don't you mess it up. You're here. Keep your nose clean. With a full belly and a sense of optimism for the day to come, Gabe slept soundly that night. Reg woke him up in the morning and offered him a bagful of old clothes he said hadn't fitted him for years. He held up a polo shirt and cargo shorts and encouraged Gabe to try them on. Both were oversized and not remotely stylish. As the boy had unfortunately parted with most of the nice apparel Patrice had given him, he feigned gratitude, fastened the belt as tight as it would go, which was still not quite tight enough, and added his passport and boarding pass to the front pocket of the bag. Amongst the hand-me-downs was a large black hat. Reg told him to wear this for the journey to the airport. Help to disguise you, he explained. When he dropped the pair off, the old man was the one to initiate a hug this time. Stay in touch, son, he said. Inexpressive behind his bristly moustache, John said almost nothing from the moment he was picked up to when they boarded the plane. Other than a frank hello, the only other words he uttered were to ask for Gabe's ticket. The boy's first instinct was to refuse, but then he realised it was probably necessary for his guardian to be responsible for this. With a delightfully uneventful stretch from Reg's house to passing through the airport security and boarding the plane, the only thing that disconcerted Gabe was that he hadn't been able to give his sister any notice of his arrival. He supposed this should not be too much of an issue, as she was well aware of his eager intention to join her. The flight attendant directed the boy and his unlikely chaperone down the aisle. As they found their row, it became clear to Gabe that he'd be sitting in the middle seat with John claiming the window. Sir, Gabe said, tapping the old man on the shoulder. He turned, staring down with his sustained look of mild annoyance. Gabe pointed at the window. You mind if we swap? John shook his head and gestured for the boy to pass him. It was now entirely irrelevant that his temporary guardian refused to speak and seemed to regard him with mild contempt. In Gabe's eyes, he was now a thoroughly great guy to travel with. The side of the boy's head was glued to the window and he refused to blink as the aeroplane accelerated along the runway. He was not prepared for the noise, the fierce vibrations or the sheer speed they attained before takeoff. His face perfectly encapsulated a mingling of shock and excitement. The blissful feeling of weightlessness as they floated up from the tarmac was the next surprise. It seemed utterly unthinkable that a vehicle of this size and weight could manage such a feat. 
He then watched in awe as the airport and all the connecting roads below them shrunk into something reminiscent of a model village. Soon, even the very contours of the island became visible and Gabe felt like a god peering down at his kingdom. It seemed as though they would never stop ascending. The higher they rose, the more Gabe started to worry that they might not be able to find land again. Noticing that everyone around him seemed perfectly content and untroubled, however, he decided that all must be under control. After emerging through a thick blanket of white cloud, the plane seemed to level off and they glided just above it. The glorious texture and apparent denseness of the material made it seem as though he could climb outside and sprint across it. He'd never experienced such serenity before. Just staring outside at the endless, empty skyline, with Trinidad now invisible, gave him the ability to separate himself from the banal commotion inside the plane. He lost himself in a tranquil daze, allowing his mind to wander. You've been given a second chance, boy. Mabel's words echoed in his head, becoming all the more poignant. You know where you're going. This was the third and penultimate thing his flight companion expressed when they finally disembarked and found themselves at the exit of Grantley Adams Airport. Gabe nodded. With some bewilderment, he received a handshake, a good look, and that was the last he saw of the man. He exchanged the remainder of his money at the airport, despite knowing that this would not offer the best deal. He expressly asked for a large quantity of coins. The boy was unusually well-versed when it came to travel, even in an entirely alien setting. He had ample cash left to pay for buses, and this was what he settled on doing. He studied the timetables and maps, asked strangers for advice, and noted that after taking a bus to the city, he could either walk or catch another. The experience with Patrice had affected Gabe more than he would have liked to admit. Accompanying the negative aspects, anxiety, intense weariness and general insecurity was a desire to keep his nose clean, as the old woman had instructed him on their final night. The idea of paying for public transport now seemed like the most astute option, whereas before he might have thought it an egregious waste of money. Seeing as it was now midday, it made sense that his sister would still be in work. With any luck, he could alert her to his arrival and hang out at her hotel until she finished her shift. He found a seat at the back of the bus and clutched the worn-out sports bag tightly on his lap. Like the first day after Patrice's arrest, he studied his surroundings with a heightened sense of uncertainty. The bus was mostly empty, but with every new person hopping on, he found his heart rate increasing. He stepped out at the terminus sometime after one in the afternoon and decided to walk the rest of the way. He estimated that it shouldn't take him longer than 45 minutes to reach the hotel. He was pleased to accomplish this ten minutes sooner than that and only had to ask one passerby for guidance. The hotel was a proud and enormous arrangement of stone and marble. Although not quite as resplendent as the Lumiere, it looked an unquestionably high-class establishment, an observation compounded by pairs of judgmental, discouraging eyes as he emerged on the other side of the revolving doors. They locked onto him and his scruffy carry-all. "'Can I help you?' said a bellhop within seconds of his entrance to the lobby. "'Yeah, I need to see my sister. Can you let her know I'm here?' 
The bellhop looked at him doubtfully. What's her name? Shirelle. The young man's icy demeanour thawed. Ah, housekeeping, he said much more casually. Gabe nodded. I'll see if I can find her. The bellhop walked over to the nearest desk and picked up the phone, returning less than a minute later. Your sister is off today. Did you not know that? Oh, Gabe replied. Sorry. It's okay. Thanks anyway. Gabe walked back out through the revolving doors, feeling somewhat disconsolate even though he had anticipated this eventuality. Shirelle lived a fair distance outside of Bridgetown, considerably further inland. Somewhat miraculously, from the half a dozen people he asked at a bus stop, one woman recognised the name of her apartment building. She told him it was a roughly two-hour walk from their current location. It'd take less than half that time if he caught two buses and was fortunate with the timings. Deciding on the second option, he listened to the complicated directions to the bus stop. He was not thrilled by having to draw so much attention to himself so soon and was enveloped by the unnerving feeling of being watched. He of course knew this was absurd. Equally disconcerting was that venturing towards the bus stop led him away from the pleasant, densely populated and decidedly safer-looking beach and resort district towards desolate and run-down streets. Amongst the gentle traffic of one of the main roads he crossed, he noticed a battered white tradesman van. The driver was fat and wearing a pair of large black shades. It stuck out because Gabe thought the man seemed to linger longer than was necessary and eyeball him before catching up with the car in front. Despite it being overbearingly warm, he decided to don the black hat and shades Reg had given him in the morning. Rows of pleasant hotels and cafes soon made way for shabby houses and a littering of handwritten to-let signs. Gabe walked fast and took directions well. He made it to the bus stop in less than ten minutes and it arrived no more than a minute after that. Once again he chose to sit at the back. The bus was pulling away when a woman caught up, ran alongside it, flagged it down. The driver decided to stop for her and she sat down at the front, just out of Gabe's view. The boy intermittently peered out of the windows. When he first glanced out of the back, he froze. The white van he'd spotted earlier was behind them, separated by two cars. Paying attention to the landmarks the woman had informed him of, he kept checking back to see if they'd turned off. To his dismay, they continued to follow. The two cars between them had managed to overtake when the bus stopped to pick up the next load of passengers, but worryingly, the white van remained behind. They continued in this manner for the entire duration of Gabe's journey. The van patiently stopped every time the bus did, despite the vehicles behind him overtaking. As his final stop drew nearer, Gabe was unsure whether to get off. He started to reason with himself. You're not in Trini, he thought. You're hundreds of miles away. There's an ocean between you and home. Besides, even his own sister didn't know where he was. There were only three people on earth who did, and one of them was basically mute. Deciding beyond doubt that he was paranoid and not wanting to risk becoming lost, he ignored his assuredly misguided instincts. The next stop was a short distance away, the woman had informed him. When he hopped off the bus, the white van would surely carry on and he'd feel like a fool for even fretting. 
The street was eerily quiet as the bus pulled up at his stop, barely any traffic and not a soul on foot. It must have been the afternoon lull, well after lunch but right before the schools finished for the day. He thanked the driver and hurried outside. First right when you get off and the next stop is on the corner, the kind woman had told him. He walked briskly in this direction, noting in his periphery that the white van was still waiting behind the bus. He could see his new bus stop on the corner ahead of him. The bus he'd been on trundled away and the van followed. He breathed a sigh of relief and carried on, but then he heard the screeching of tyres. He glanced back to find the van was a few feet away. It broke hard and the side door slid open. A large man in a balaclava leapt out. Gabe immediately broke into a sprint. Unfortunately for him, he was wearing the oversized cargo shorts. They slid down to thigh level the second he did so. He tripped, skidding forward on his hands and belly. He popped back up and only managed to advance a few feet before he felt a large pair of arms wrap around his waist. Get off me! he screamed. He resisted with all of his might. His captor was too strong. He tried to burst forward and the man swung him around. Gabe's legs kicked helplessly in the air before they landed and skidded across the ground as he was dragged towards the van. He tried to strike back with his feet and was unable to land an effectual blow. Then tried to elbow the man in the ribs. His arms were too constricted to generate any force. He could sense his assailant's face a few inches above him. He forced his own head upwards as hard and fast as he could manage and felt it connect with the man's chin. The attacker swore and Gabe felt the grip slacken around his midriff. The man let go with one of his arms but a second later Gabe felt cold metal pressed against his temple. Stop now or I'll blow your brains all over the road. He spoke in a thick Bajan accent. Gabe relented, though not quite sure why, seeing as he was doomed either way. With the gun firmly pushed into the side of his skull and the fingers of the man's hand digging into the recess below his ribs, Gabe walked towards his fate in the awaiting van. The dark, dingy space he could make out behind the half-open shutter would likely be the last thing he would ever see. A second later he sensed another body quickly advancing from behind. He heard a powerful thump. The man lost his grip on Gabe entirely and slumped forward, choking. The boy stepped away. Run, he heard a voice yell. It was a woman's voice. Gabe turned and searched for the source. She was darting ahead of him now. He gripped the waistband of his baggy shorts and sprinted after her as best as he could manage. After a quick glance back, running as fast as the damned hand-me-downs would allow, he glimpsed that the man in the balaclava had returned to his feet to give chase himself. And a fair distance behind him was the driver, still wearing his sunglasses. The man's bulging chest and belly rippled with every stride. Gabe imagined that even with his own enraging handicap, he'd still be able to easily outrun this out-of-shape assailant. But the armed man was now gaining on both of them. As his long-haired saviour continued straight on down the road, Gabe veered right. It was one of those instinctual split-second judgments. The man seemed hell-bent on catching the woman now. Perhaps he thought his accomplice was in better shape and fast enough to catch Gabe. Whatever the reason, a thin row of houses split the road into two parallel ones and Gabe took the one bending a fraction to the right. 
he made another brief glance back to see that the armed attacker had indeed carried on straight, while the fat driver was now nowhere to be seen. He continued to run as fast as he could with one hand firmly fixed on keeping his shorts up. Unable to make out where the partition would end, or if he'd be ambushed at any second, then, crash, he heard an almighty whack from the other side of the one-storey homes. Glass cracking, tyres screeching, the unnerving sound slowed him only for a second, and he continued to power onward to discover the fate of his rescuer. He was gasping for every breath, his legs were searing with acid and sweat had started to pour from under his black hat. He snatched at it with his free hand and tossed it aside. Another glance back showed, as far as he could tell, that no one was behind him for a few hundred yards. He slowed to a jog but refused to stop while every muscle fibre in his thighs protested. The separating row of homes finally ended abruptly. The road curved and he could discern a figure running back in his direction, too slight to be either of the men. He stopped, waiting for a second before he could distinguish a flow of wavy dark hair. His heroine had returned for him. Then he recognised who it was. He stood there squinting at her just to make sure. Snoopy? Good, you're okay, she panted. Come on, keep moving. The pair broke into a jog together. He followed her in near silence, broken only by their rhythmic gasping. They continued at this pace down the deserted street for what might have been another 15 minutes, perhaps longer. Eventually, they left the residential area and found themselves in a small stretch of cafes and convenience stores. OK, let's walk, Snoopy turned back to say, regaining her breath. After walking along the small high street for a couple of minutes, she pointed at a cafe. In here. Gabe followed her inside. We'll order something and I'll get us a cab. She nodded at a table in the far corner. Sit. She approached the counter and returned a moment later with two bottles of water and some kind of cold tortilla wrap. OK, they've ordered us a taxi. She threw the wrap at him. Gabe was still dumbfounded but he couldn't deny his hunger or his thirst. He bit into the wrap and necked half of the contents of the cool water bottle in one go. What happened back there? He barked his mouth full. What was that noise and what are you doing here? I spotted you walking out of one of the hotels on the seafront and then noticed that van following you. When they did a full loop I knew something was up so I chased after you and hopped onto your bus. I was lucky I managed to get on it. You were on my bus? Gabe shook his head glaring at her. Why didn't you say anything? I didn't want to draw any attention to myself. I guessed that if they didn't know I was with you, I might benefit from the element of surprise. I think I was right. Yeah, you kicked him in the balls, Gabe said, somewhat overexcited. Snoopy pointed her finger. That was one of the only situations where such a thing is acceptable. That guy with the gun, what happened to him? I heard a loud crash. You know how you're always supposed to look both ways before crossing the road, Snoopy said calmly. Gabe nodded. Well, he must have forgotten that lesson. Gabe's eyes widened. Is he dead? Didn't stop to check. I feel sorry for the bus driver, though. What are you even doing here? Apparently, I'm here to save your skin, she said before taking a large gulp of water. Well, I appreciate it. Gabe shook his head and let out a large exhale. 
still attempting to process what had just happened. Do you know why those people were after me? I think I get the gist. Been making some interesting friends back home, huh? Some enemies, it seems. Snoopy spotted something over Gabe's shoulder. Come on, taxi is here. He noticed her nervously checking the street before ushering him into the back of the car. Where were you going, she said, slumping down low in her seat. Gabe copied her. My sister's. Is she expecting you there? No, doesn't know I've left Trini. Good, Snoopy replied. If she isn't, that should mean that no one else will be. Gabe recited Cheryl's address to the driver and he pulled away. The pair continued talking in low voices during the journey. He explained everything that had happened back home, from working alongside Patrice to taking the flight with Reg's friend. Do you trust your friend Reg? Gabe nodded in reply. But this John guy, you've never met him before? Gabe shook his head and his friend made a non-committal noise like, hmm. You think he set me up? he asked. It doesn't matter now. What matters is that people know you're here. Listen to me carefully. Don't ever use the back roads again. Stay in open, well-populated places. Don't travel alone if you can help it. I can't promise that any of this will keep you safe or that these people will ever stop, but it's a damn sight better than trying your luck where no one can see you. If you'd like to learn more about JW Voice, the author of this story, pop along to the show notes where you'll find a link to him right there. And as for Bear Books Podcast, we're on all your favourite social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. See you on the next episode. Bye.